Well, hello and welcome to the Pregnancy Help Podcast. My name is Christine Grimmett and I'm joined here by Betty McDowell, Vice President of Ministry Services here at Heartbeat International, and Tracy Windsor from an organization called Be Not Afraid. So October is National Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month, and Be Not Afraid really just ties into that. So we invited Tracy to come and share a bit of her story and her ministry work with you. Um, I'd like to mention that we have more trainings available through Heartbeat Academy on a variety of pregnancy-related topics, including topics like a difficult prenatal diagnosis or pregnancy loss and how to best serve clients in those situations. So if you're looking for some training in that area, I just want to encourage you to go to heartbeatservices.org and click on store, or you can contact the Heartbeat office, um, and we'd be happy to offer some guidance on uh, where to start with training. So Betty, would you like to start us off? Happy to. Thanks so much, Christine. Um, We want to take this morning and just really dedicate this podcast to those who have walked through loss or perhaps are walking through loss right now. Um, Our hearts are with you. Our hearts are for you. And And it's really just a neat opportunity for us to uh, take this time and to have a few minutes really with Tracy Windsor. And Tracy and I have just been kind of getting to know each other. Um, She is a pretty amazing woman. And I think that you'll enjoy hearing a little bit about her story and uh, really the birth of Be Not Afraid. So Tracy, would you go ahead and just maybe give us a little introduction and talk to us a little bit about Be Not Afraid? Certainly. Um, You know, I thought that I had a plan for my life, uh, which was that I was going to be a career woman. And then unexpectedly, our first baby ended up in NICU. And um, when I was discharged from the hospital, and he was not, I looked at my husband and I said, if I get to take this baby home, I can't go back to work. And that really was the beginning of um, a large family Um, as well as a lot of volunteer work in maternal child health. And I took my um, education and I just applied it to um, really uh, church ministry around loss and young family ministry. Um, Subsequent to that, I have had two losses myself. And I was working in something called Elizabeth Ministry in my parish level when I met my co-founder for Be Not Afraid. Um, she was a woman who had had a prenatal diagnosis herself, a baby with trisomy 18 who was stillborn at 32 weeks. And um, we were happy together to build a really good um, loss ministry at our parish. But uh, we found one year that there were two families um, that did not find the support that they needed. And um, both of them had a prenatal diagnosis. One family ended the pregnancy without having adequate support and information at diagnosis, the second family carried to term, um, delivered a baby that they needed a lot more information about how to handle that baby at birth, did not get the information that they needed. So we decided that God maybe was asking us to find someone to provide some kind of service that would support families with a prenatal diagnosis. And so we spent about a year knocking on doors Um, we discovered a medical model of care called perinatal hospice. We thought, gosh, there's got to be a doctor or hospital system or a hospice organization that would be willing to provide this in our community, which was then Charlotte, North Carolina. And um, at the end of that year, we got as far as having a perinatal hospice roundtable with all the major players that might be part of a community-based response and, and no one wanted to do anything. So we looked at each other. We're not really sure which one of us said it, but we thought, well, maybe 
we were mistaken. And in fact, God's asking us to do this ministry. Um, it seemed like a really bad idea, uh, but we were pretty sure that if we didn't at least try, God probably would not let it go. Um, so we stood still for maybe a month or so. And sure enough, we had another parent with a prenatal diagnosis, another family um, that also ended the pregnancy because there wasn't sufficient support for her. So we decided that we would build something. Uh, we did not think that we would get any referrals. Uh, it took us about uh, six months to a year to get our first referral. And uh, we were still pretty sure that the medical community would not respond pos positively to, you know, we always identified ourselves as a couple of uh, wacky pro-life Catholic women. Um, but I had a background in public administration, so I knew how to build a viable ministry. We had a manual. My co-founder is a CPA, so everything looked right. And um, at our first birth, which ultimately ended as a stillbirth at 32 weeks, because baby was very frail, there were um, three of us that were there supporting mom through the night as she was laboring. And I went on a hunt at like 2 or 3 a.m. for a cup of coffee and found myself out at the nurse's station. And one of the nurses said, I need brochures or a business card for you all, which we didn't have, but I need something from you all. I didn't realize you were a service. I just thought this mother had the best friends in the world. And That's so sweet. That I is thought, so sweet. This is how this works. Who knew this is how it's going to work. So that was really our beginning. Um, I love that. So, so I hear you were using this term uh, prenatal diagnosis. So I wondered if you could maybe clarify that for our listening audience. What, what do you mean when you use that term prenatal diagnosis? Because I know I've heard other terminology used. It used to be that we would say a poor prenatal diagnosis. Um, and a lot in the disability, a lot of individuals in the disability community have objected to the, the word poor. So we at BNA have just adopted prenatal diagnosis. Sometimes you'll hear adverse prenatal diagnosis, difficult prenatal diagnosis, as Christine said. So there's a couple of different ways to refer to it. Most often when people think about poor prenatal diagnosis or prenatal diagnosis and a service of care, they're thinking about perinatal hospice, which is the service model that we started with. With Be Not Afraid, we've always supported parents without regard to uh, what the expected outcome was for the diagnosis. So with perinatal hospice, it's generally the idea that the diagnosis is serious enough that maybe you're looking at a baby who will die at some time after birth, shortly after birth. We were accepting referrals, whether the diagnosis was Down syndrome or a heart defect where parents were going to um, continue the pregnancy and have a heart surgery, or whether it was a more serious diagnosis like anencephaly that might be a more appropriate referral for a perinatal hospice provider. So it could be a a structural anomaly, it could be a genetic syndrome with an intellectual disability, it's just a wide variety. So be not afraid is what I'm hearing is really a larger umbrella. So um, so it's when, when we talk about uh, peri, uh, perinatal hospice, uh, that's, that's more specific. So that fits under your umbrella, but your umbrella of care is much wider than that. So when we, when you use the uh, BNA, be not afraid. So for our listeners, when you're yes. hearing BNA, it's be not afraid. Um, Tracy, your your calling, really what you described as a calling 
that God put on you. Never thought you were going to be doing this. And we hear that over and over again, particularly in the pregnancy help community. Of, um, uh, In fact, we were discussing this the other day. It's like, have you ever met someone who said, someday I'm going to be a pregnancy <laughs> center director, or I'm going to head an organization uh, to walk with people through the toughest time of their life? Um, and we don't hear that very often. I, I think that maybe on occasion that comes up. But um, but you you remind me so much of... Uh, the way people get that calling from God to do really the impossible or to do the very difficult. And and that's really uh, what you're doing with Be Not Afraid. Now, and in our conversation in past, we've talked about the really exponential growth. And so I wonder if you can maybe share with us a little bit of, you said this started, this was in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, so from those very beginnings, those small beginnings in, in Charlotte, North Carolina, where are we now with uh, Be Not Afraid? And maybe tell us a little bit about what you want the future, what you believe God's called you guys to uh, for the future of Be Not Afraid. Absolutely. You know, we started out small and we had that first mother. I think it took us another six months to get another parent. And in our early years, maybe it was three families a year. Um, Initially, we were a peer ministry. Over time, we realized that the needs of parents were so complex that it required a, a more complicated approach to support than peer ministry. We made that transition. Um, over time, we garnered some attention in the national Catholic community. Um, we involved ourselves in ethics conversations in the Catholic community nationally. Um, and so pretty soon people were coming to us nationally, both to ask us to support them in development of peer ministry in local communities elsewhere, which we did. But we also had parents coming to us looking for support in other places outside of Charlotte. And our motto had always been that we would serve whomever God sends. Initially, we would try to find some other local service that we could refer people to if they came to us, say, from California. Um, but our service model was rather unique in that we were accepting parents without regard to the diagnosis and that we were connecting at the diagnosis. Sometimes when you have hospital-based services that are perinatal hospice or perinatal palliative care, as you said, there's a specific kind of diagnosis they're looking at and they want to connect with parents a little bit later in the pregnancy. Um, so Ultimately, we found we were serving more and more parents nationally. Um, this year, I think our number of parents served or families served will be closer to 70, which is actually a, a large number for a service like ours. Um, most of our families have been in California this year, I think I'm safe to say. We've served more families in California than in North Carolina. Um, we also realized over the last couple of years that it's actually much easier to serve parents uh, in other states than it is to raise funds in other states. Um, and we recognize that the rate of growth is something that we can't um, sustain. We don't feel uh, called to building a national organization. So we really stood still and discerned over the last couple of years as these numbers of parents kept increasing and thought, okay, what is it that God is asking us to do now? Um, and it seemed like the best option for us would be to train other organizations 
uh, to provide the care that we provide, um, both in terms of connecting with parents without regard to the diagnosis, connecting early at diagnosis, which is a really good approach for pro-life organizations uh, because we want to connect with parents when that decision about abortion or caring to term is being made, um, and then um, help those organizations be providers in their local communities. So that's what we're working on now. That's great. Um, we know that there are some organizations uh, that exist that are, are really kind of newer in this field of really helping uh, folks, helping families with pregnancy loss. We've seen this topic come up more and more in the pregnancy help community. Those serving in uh, pregnancy centers and medical clinics wanting to be more equipped to help, uh, particularly moms who come to them and and discover um, that they have a, a prenatal diagnosis. And so this is something that Heartbeat has certainly been interested in. And, and so I know that as time goes on, we'll be uh, sharing more information of opportunities through our academy for people to get training. And then at our 2022 conference in Jacksonville, Florida, coming up at the end of March, um, you'll be there with us and you'll be providing really an all-day uh, training, an all-day opportunity for people to understand this issue uh, more, to be able to walk with women uh, through women and families through this. So as we see this um, fight in our culture for the value of every human life, uh, particularly those who are so innocent in the womb, um, we do believe that as we see a cultural shift, a revival perhaps of sorts on the issue of the sanctity of human life, that this will become um, even more um, necessary, needed, embraced, wanted uh, to help families. I know that as a social worker in past, I've read some things more like a white paper or two on the topic of, um, of what it's like that whole grief process for someone who has a, a prenatal diagnosis and who walks through and, and the grief, the birth, the grief, and how family can join in. And, and it becomes something that the entire family maybe experiences together. And that might be extended family and what this can do for um, really a whole community. And it, 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 to me, brings back thinking of losses that I'm aware of and how that uh, precious, tiny little life made such an impact in such a short period of time. Um, and yet we also know that it's it's a common practice from um, the medical field for a doctor to perhaps suggest, advise um, for a woman to go ahead and, and have an abortion um, in that pregnancy. Some of them thinking with good intention that this will lessen the grief for this woman by making this just go away. Um, and yet we find in terms of what I've been reading, that it is so much healthier, very, very difficult, but so much healthier uh, to be able to walk this child uh, to perhaps uh, perhaps their first 
and last breath of life, or perhaps as you as you mentioned with your first um, situation of a of a stillbirth, and what that can do for that family. So as we um, look forward, looking forward to all the things that we'll have to offer in terms of really equipping pregnancy centered, really keen leaders, um, also just making people really aware of this particular issue because I, I do know that there are times whether whether a miscarriage or a stillbirth or or something else along the way that that the tendency is to just let's just move past this. So I don't I would be remiss to to not take time with you, Tracy, and have you really talk to us about some practical things. How can we look at this particular challenge this particular sorrow and how can we be a blessing in um, understanding and in walking with somebody uh, through uh, a prenatal diagnosis? I think that um, certainly with respect to a prenatal diagnosis, I I think that one of the really important things um, and one of the things we hope to do when we provide coursework for you all at the academy is just to increase, in a sense, the, the, the toolbox that you all have of knowledge to approach prenatal diagnosis. Um, you know, we, we find so often that um, testing uh, lacks a certain level of informed consent. Oftentimes, parents are being advised to terminate around testing that's a screening test and not a um, diagnostic test. Um, so there's that. Very often, parents aren't aware of the trauma associated with a prenatal diagnosis. Um, oftentimes, parents aren't aware that lethal language may have been applied so to a diagnosis that, that really can't be determined to be lethal prenatally. So the, the reality is that, that stepping into the moment, um, making time to listen to someone, um, understanding the full scope of the story. Story of their diagnosis. Again, oftentimes those stories will be related in a way that's very um, consistent with, uh, I hate to say it, it's almost like a shark attack story. You know, we, we went in to have an ultrasound. We were going to find out, boy or girl, it's all happy until suddenly it isn't. Um, and then helping people understand that, um, that there's not a need to act quickly. There's, there may be more information and there is support. You know, we have a great research that was done by Dr. Byron Calhoun many, many years ago that said that um, 80% of parents will terminate if there's a serious prenatal diagnosis. But when offered a service of comprehensive supported diagnosis, 80% will carry to term. So certainly what we know within this population of parents is that most parents who abort around a prenatal diagnosis want a better option. They just were not given that opportunity. Um, I think the other thing that's important around prenatal diagnosis for us as a pro-life community is to recognize that almost all efforts to advance abortion access are based on prenatal diagnosis. So when we look at like the push to legalize abortion in Ireland, it was almost entirely based on um, the backs, as it were, of children with prenatal diagnoses that are characterized as lethal. So this is such an important um, area for us to gain competency in. There's such good work that could be done here because parents are so desperate at diagnosis for support. Um, and it really, as you described it, it's beautiful work, even if we're looking at situations in which parents are uh, moving towards a loss. 
we have medical research now that says that certainly for the mother, there is an emotional benefit for the mother to carry the term, even if that baby is dying, um, because of the, the opportunity to parent that child for as long as possible. But it's, it's dependent on having good, comprehensive support. Uh, thank you for that, Tracy. Um, you used some terms with me that I'd, I'd like you to explain, and um, you used the, the idea of this framework of the avoiders, the advisors, and the advocates. So walk us through a little bit of that, because I, I think that's pretty equipping as well. You know, we, uh, so often when you are working in this field of young families, uh, even if you're not dealing with someone in the midst of their own loss or in the immediacy of a loss, oftentimes we'll find someone who presents to us with a prenatal diagnosis, or in the case of a pregnancy help center, somebody who's there with a crisis pregnancy, but they have a prior loss that hasn't been dealt with. Um, so I think it's so valuable and important for us to have um, an awareness of how to deal with perinatal loss, pregnancy loss, or infant loss. And so we talk about in our work, kind of keeping in mind the idea of avoiders and advisors. Avoiders would be the individuals who approach perinatal loss, generally the people around the parent who think, uh, I'm, I don't really know what to say, so I'm going to say nothing. And if you talk to parents who've had a loss, they will say, I, I know exactly who you're talking about. These are the people that will scoot out the side door of the church when they see me rather than have a conversation. Um, the people who just want to pretend like nothing has happened. So they see the parent after the stillbirth and don't say anything. Very painful for parents. Um, advisors are people who are just trying to fill space. Um, sometimes they're advising the individual who's had a loss based on their own experience. Um, Oftentimes, they're talking about uh, how the parent isn't grieving well or fast enough or what the parent might do to grieve better um, or what the funeral should look like. A lot of times, they feel compelled to tell the parent what God is doing in their life. Um, so all of these things can be difficult for parents. Um, if we think, uh, you know, I've, I've done so much research now on your love approach. If we think about the love approach, the advisor is not listening and learning at all. They're just talking. Um, so they're saying a lot of things that offer no benefit. What we really want everyone to shoot for is to be an advocate. And an advocate would be the person that understands first that grief is a very personal journey, a very individual journey. Um, I think from a Christian perspective, it's helpful to think of it as a wilderness journey. Um, certainly within a couple, um, the couple is going to grieve differently. Um, and it is a unique and stressful time. It can be for a marriage because, you know, whereas um, if mom loses her mother, it's a secondary loss for her husband. He can be supportive to her. When you lose a child between the two of you, it's a primary loss for both of you. And you both have this wilderness grief journey you have to be on. Um, and it's different for both of you. Um, so the advocate understands the personal nature of the journey. They understand the importance of mourning, which is, you know, kind of the outward expression of your grief. The advocate understands that it takes time. Um, and the advocate isn't afraid to acknowledge the loss. Um, and sometimes that's as easy as saying baby's name. You know, frequently when we find that we have a parent who's got a prenatal diagnosis, and as we're taking their history, we understand that there's prior miscarriage, we encourage those parents to name those babies, for instance. 
um, to change that from a medical event, I had a miscarriage to giving baby a name. Um, and it's such a powerful thing if there is a name to, to say that name to parents. And sometimes even just something as simple as remembering to send a card um, that says, you know, uh, remembering Haley Grace and holding you all in prayer can be so uh, healing and life affirming for parents. So ideally, we all want to be advocates, not avoiders or advisors. From a practical standpoint, if you are working at a pregnancy help center and someone, a client has a loss, it's hard in these COVID days, but hopefully it'll get better soon. But if you've been supporting a family and they have a loss, I really encourage you to consider getting to the hospital to meet that baby as a practical help. Um, there is something so powerful about knowing that people know your child. And parents frequently will be afraid to ask people to come to the hospital because it's scary to ask people to come to the hospital. But it can be so um, wonderful to have people just show up. So consider that as a practical help. Second, to those who are going through loss right now or who have had a loss, there's this wonderful saying in bereavement that the children you have lost have a greater impact on you than those that you are allowed to parent. And that is so true. We see it all the time with the families that we work with. And I can say it as a lost mother myself, having had two really early losses, which often you know, people kind of discount the miscarriage isn't as impactful as the stillbirth and the stillbirth isn't as impactful as losing an infant in a month. But even with my miscarriages, Thomas and Gabriel, be not afraid would not exist if not for Thomas and Gabriel. So I just want to say to anyone having their own loss um, to, to know that um, there is hope um, and it's difficult to figure out how to parent a baby from the painful distance uh, between this life and heaven, but it's possible. Thank you for that, Tracy. And thank you so much for the plug for the love approach. Um, the love approach is really foundational to everything that we do here at Heartbeat International. So L-O-V-E, love, the L is listen and learn, the O is opening up options, the V is giving vision and value, and E, really extending and empowering someone to move forward. And for us as advocates, there probably are some very practical things that we can be doing as well, which, which would really be um, being there to listen and to walk through that grief and understand that grief is different for each and every person. And uh, there's no really scripted way to walk through grief and to do some of the practicals, whether that's to uh, bring a meal or perhaps watch other children or um, just to give that space. Um, so I, I know I've walked with friends through, um, through loss and I, I, I realize that um, in many ways time does not heal all wounds. That's kind of something that we tend to think about. And so I love what you said about um, saying that child's name and giving opportunity, uh, not forcing someone to speak about that loss, but giving that opportunity um, to 
just be present for them and allowing them to be able to talk about uh, perhaps the past and to talk about the, the things that they're grieving of what they would have had in the future. So all of that, very sweet and very, very valuable. Um, Tracy, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Um, we admire the work that you're doing. We're thrilled uh, for the journey that you're on and how we get to be part of it. And um, again, being able to take this particular podcast and really acknowledge in the month of October, uh, Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. So we hope that we've been able to bring some awareness to those uh, who are listening to us and perhaps some equipping and certainly an understanding of uh, those who are in the midst of grief right now or who've been walking that journey, um, that we do grieve with you. And we, um, we really acknowledge the pain that you have been walking through. And I do think, Tracy, your own testimony of how God took the difficulties in your life and made something beautiful um, out of that, that we know God can do that. Uh, for others as well. So it's really been an honor for us to have time with you. We look forward to what's in the future with Heartbeat International and Be Not Afraid. And um, Tracy, if you could kind of, you can close us out. We'll turn it back over to Christine, but tell us the best way for people to learn more about Be Not Afraid. What's what's the best way to reach you or the best way to learn more about your organization? Uh, the best way to learn more about Be Not Afraid is to go to our website, which is benotafraid.net. Um, and I think particularly helpful, we have a research page there that's organized by topics. You can find a lot of information that's research-based there relative to prenatal diagnosis. Um, and I can be reached through the contact button there, but my email is tracy.windsor at benotafraid.net. Thank you both. Uh, thanks to our listeners for joining us for this episode of the Pregnancy Help Podcast. Again, you can visit benotafraid.net if you'd like more information. Um, you can also contact Tracy through that website. And I'll post that link in the episode description. Um, also, again, if you're looking for additional training opportunities, we have hundreds of courses um, and growing available on the Heartbeat Academy. So visit heartbeatacademy.org to browse through those courses. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of your day.